Welcome to the Family Biz Show. According to Family Enterprise USA, family businesses in the U.S. account for over 64% of GDP and employ 62% of the workforce. In other words, they are the backbone of our economy. But success doesn't come easy. Only 13% are operating in the third generation. The Family Biz Show is here to help. Listen in weekly to hear stories from other family businesses and industry thought leaders so that you and your family not only survive, but thrive. Well, welcome everybody to the Family Biz Show. My name is Michael Columbus. I'll be your host today. I'm with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. And today we are gonna be talking about the five ways to ensure your family business survives and thrives through another wave of COVID-19 this fall and winter. And I am so excited because we're really joined by two fabulous guests. We've got Brad Giles from Australia and Ron Huntington from the West Coast in the Seattle area. So welcome, gentlemen. How are you doing today? Doing well, Michael. Thank you for having us. Excellent. Lovely to be here. Thank you, Michael. Wonderful. So typically what we do on the show is just ask everybody to, you know, share their journey. How did you end up here you know we're we're in the, the the family biz show today what's your journey been like brad you know i would love to hear from you tell us uh, about your journey yeah so i have been an, a serial entrepreneur um it's a bit like a serial killer but without the bad parts if you like you get stuck in a habit being a serial entrepreneur uh, yeah, so I've started six companies over the years. Uh, started the first one when I was 16. Um, some of them went really quite well. Some of them not so well. Learned a lot over the years. Probably in about 2001, I read a book called Mastering the Rockefeller Habits, which I was in a, a company that was growing 86% and it really changed my life. Exited that business, started another one, sold that one. Uh, and then probably about 10 years ago, I started coaching full-time, predominantly across Australia with some of the, I guess, what I'd call the best companies in Australia. Um, yeah, and that's the, the 30 second or less story. Just always loved building great businesses. Uh, live in Perth, Australia, which is on the West Coast, same time zone as Beijing, and four kids, happily well, married. Well, welcome. Ron Huntington, tell us about yourself. Well, this goes back a long, long ways. I, I think it would be age after beauty in this case, if I'm taking a look at, at Brad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we, we go back a, a number of years as well and, and our good friends and colleagues, despite the fact that we're literally 12 hours around the globe away from one another. I started in a family business when I got out of school a long time ago, uh, left the family business, went out and started becoming as Brad did, an entrepreneur, uh, built a number of businesses, exited them uh, successfully. And, and as anybody knows who's been in and out of family businesses, you have your wins and you have your losses. And so uh, uh, I have built and, and, and exited companies, but I've actually been coaching and consulting uh, businesses for about 30 years now, if you can believe that. Um, and um, and, and I, I specialize a lot of times in working with 
first, second, and third generation family businesses. So very familiar with many of the issues that a lot of your clientele, Michael, are dealing with, and many of the listeners, obviously, on this podcast. Um, but what, what I, I've, I, I think when I take a look at the family business experience I've had myself, I got into the family business, then exited it. When my dad got ill and passed away, I inherited that business that I exited. And there was about a 35-year difference between the first taste and the last taste. We sold it successfully. It was a, it was a radio station and advertising agency business. And we exited that about three years ago. And, uh, and what they say uh, about owning businesses like that, it's kind of like owning a boat. You have an ecstatic day one. It's, it's the most brilliant, exciting, invigorating feeling you have. And that's surpassed only by the day that you actually sell the boat or the business. So, uh, so that's where we've been. And, and one interesting thing about today's topic is Brad and I kind of hit on this at the same time. He was over on the, uh, on the, the left coast in Australia, in Perth, and I was on the left coast here in the United States. And uh, about the same day, he sent out a, an email that gave us some background on what was happening in Australia and some data that he had compiled then that pretty much forecast we're going to be in for one tough ride here coming up. And uh, so Brad and I have been doing a little bit of collaborating off and on. I think we're kindred spirits. And hopefully today, Michael, we're going to share some things that will that will become apparent to a lot of people, not things we want to see happening in this environment of the COVID-19 and the potential com a combination of the, the COVID virus with the flu coming up, but, but things that business owners, uh, particularly family business owners, need to be able to think about while there's still time. And there's precious little time to do that. Brad, would you agree? Absolutely. Uh, you know, the best time to plant a tree was 10 years ago. The second best time is right now. Um, we all know that old adage. And I, I think that, uh, yeah, I, I think that there is, this is a long play that we're in. Um, hopefully most of the listeners have survived, although they're a bit battered and beaten. Uh, and so now uh, we've, we've got to be uh, vigilant and aware, uh, saying how do we prepare to move forward? Great. Yeah. So take me back real quick. And if I'm throwing, I don't mean to throw any curveballs, but you guys, Ron, you said that, you know, Brad had sent out an email about the same time you were having some thoughts. So this is back in March of this year or yeah, late, February late, of this late year. February. Was it Brad when you sent out your first uh, emergency flare to pay attention here? Yeah. Well, the, before that, the first one was on the 5th of February. Um, and that was, that was tracking <clears throat> that was tracking basically math and, and i want to come back to math later as we talk today because because you can argue with politics you can argue with many many things but you can't argue with math one plus one will always equal two and so that was really based on the math of what we saw in wuhan in china and how um china addressed that and what was uh, there was already on the 5th of february uh, some emerging hotspots. And so that was a, just a private client circular. Then I sent a subsequent one in February, but then I sent it out to our communities, Ron, um, probably on the 15th of March. Um, so, uh, and this was just a compilation. And, and yeah, there was enough of a red flag, uh, and enough of early stage warning signs um, that were kind of consistently on my radar. Uh, and... <clears throat> 
I will say the first word of that email was crikey. And, and that's obviously a Steve Irwin um, sure. word here. But it's, it's, an ex, it's, an ex, uh, it's a statement to say no one is reacting and there's something that's quite big going on here. Yeah, so I just want to say thank you because you don't, you may or may not know this, but when I got a hold of that data, I started to look at the math and started, yeah. and I, it, immediately you could see the patterns that you were pointing out, and people were still saying, "Oh, this is nothing." And, and the week before that email, I had gone to dinner with friends and drinks afterwards. And we're just let, you know, kind of chumming it up and saying, you know, yeah. this is just going to blow over. This is the flu. I don't get it. And then you, you shared your data and that turned into a whole bunch of webinars that we were doing for clients and just business owners in upstate New York. And I think that really helped some of the listeners, you know, that were early adopters or, you know, early listeners to, you know, the, the first webinars before this became a podcast that, that work that you did created this podcast. You don't know awesome. that, but that's uh, <laughs> awesome. That's where this came from is, you know, from that crikey email that we, we went through and saw the data. So what's the data that you guys are seeing today? And we would, you know, talk about the science and the, you know, the multi-source data, what's going on right now? What are you seeing today? Well, Brad just had uh, sent me up in the last four or five hours. He said there's a brand new study that's just come out here. Brad, did you have a chance to dig into that during our <laughs> afternoon hours? Or and we, uh, no. probably that's the most relevant. No, but <clears throat> what are people talking about right now? They're talking about oh, is there going to be a second wave? And <clears throat> I, I wonder if if that's kind of the wrong question to a degree, um, uh, because let's it's math that we're dealing with. Okay, and I'm going to come back to that point, Ron, but it's, it, uh, the virus has one single objective. It will do anything that it can to grow, to spread. And, and we've got to bear that in mind. This is not an intel, uh, intelligent being. This is just, it's just going to grow. It's like, you know, mold spores on a piece of bread, if you ever did that in, in school. Um, so the data, one of the points of data that came out today was the surge in Europe has now surpassed US cases. So you've got this kind of, uh, Europe were, they had a first wave that we all know, and that was quite alarming. Um, they locked down and they suppressed it. And then they went through this summer uh, and then they uh, open things up. And then over time, what's happened is that that's now caught up to them. So you can see this, this, this second, real definite second wave that's accelerating so fast in Europe. So that's kind of, I mean, there's no end of graphs. If you enter in, you know, COVID graph into Google, I'm sure you're going to get millions of hits. We all, we all know that. But the major trend, I think, in the world, uh, I think, in fact, it's twofold, to be honest, Ron. That is number one is that the, the second wave is all over Europe. It's hitting, I know the UK is locking down there. It's just how hard do we lock down? How much can we take is the question in Europe. But the other one is human nature. And that's the real, because you know what? We're all tired of what's happening and, and everybody, they're like, I just want this thing to be over. Um, so if you go, so there was a research came out in the last day or two from Pew Research, P-E-W, um, and, and that said that 21% of people today, this week, would definitely get the vaccine if it would, was released. 
21%, okay? A further 30% would probably get the vaccine. So a total of only 51% if a cheap uh, and effective uh, and available vaccine was there. Only 51% would even get it. Um, so we've, we've got to think about um, what is happening with the virus. How is the virus spreading, number one? Number two, um, what, is the, what is happening in terms of human nature? Because the only reason, if the, vaccine, if the virus, I'm sorry, is simply maths playing out, the only reason the virus is going to spread a second wave and any further waves is because of one single thing, and that's human nature. Um, so that, to point that out, that was 51% of people said they, they definitely or probably would get a vaccine. That's down from 71% in May. So we've dropped 20 percentage points from May until now and people who um, definitely or probably would get a vaccine. So this is um, playing out and that will work against us in the longer term. Sure. Yeah, and math, add, go ahead, Ron. And the math says, you know, this replication is going to happen. It's not a matter of if, it's just how quickly, how exponentially it will impact everybody, not only in, in the US, but around the globe. And, and you cannot at this point, Michael, have hope. I mean, we've all hoped that it would be over by now. We've all hoped that we wouldn't have a second wave. Well, th that hope has likely passed. And so hope is not a strategy uh, that'll get you through. Uh, what we need to be able to take a look for, for family business owners is, with, with some of the benefits that family business owners have, how are you gonna plan your way through so that you can be agile and nimble and realistically facing the next six to 12 months until there is an effective vaccine and it is distributed in enough uh, of a massive scale that again, we can overcome that 51% of the people because without if it's only 51, this thing's going to be around for quite some time. Wouldn't you agree, Brad? Well, the, the question really is, what is herd immunity? We all hear about this herd immunity and the, the, you know, the, the political speakers get a hold of that and they, but um, if you're going to travel, Ron, as someone I know who travels quite a bit, how is it going to affect your thinking? Um, you, you know, it's, it's still going to affect the economy if 51% um, of people have a vaccine, uh, pardon me, are inoculated. It's still going to affect the way that people think. If you actually dig into the data of the economic downturn, the economic downturns started in the week or two before the government started telling people to lock down because it was people's fear that drove people to stop going to the movies or to the theater or the, the restaurants. So uh, the human nature is something that's, and how it affects our businesses is something that's really important to think of. And we've got to have a sustainable model. Yeah. You know, it's, what's a couple of interesting points there is one is that drop from 71% to 51%. Think about where people were at in May. The, the mindset yeah. in May was so different and so fed up with that. Then the summer came and we, you know, in the, in the U S and we started to get a little easier, better, you know, you had a little bit more where, you know, getting out there. Now it's like, ah, I don't need it. As soon as, if there was, you know, when there's a second, you know, round of this, and we're experiencing that cooped up winter time, the flu plus COVID, 
it, that number will spike back up to 75, 80% will say, give me the, you know, give me the, get me inoculated if there's, if that's available. Um, it's very, the other thing that you said that's interesting is the, the period, you know, two weeks, three weeks before this really hit. And, you know, just my own personal, I was, I was not allowed into our corporate offices for two weeks before because there was a COVID case at a conference that we were at. So I was, you know, well before in the beginning of March, you know, we, had, we left the conference the end of February, beginning of March, they sent out a notice, don't come into the office, there was a COVID case. And we're, we're still laughing. We're still like, you know, oh, you guys are silly. And, and, and then and the, I wish I'd had your paper, you know, that email two weeks earlier, because that would have given me even more time to, to dig into it. Ron, you know, talk some more about, you know, the mindset that people should be coming at this with. And I know one of the things, you know, just when I, when Brad talked about it, when we talked about the Stockdale paradox, I think that, you know, I think that would be a really good thing just to remind our listeners, what is the Stockdale paradox and what is that, you know, the, what is the objective mindset that people need to have around the virus? Well, it, it, you said it, it, it you, you must remain objective and try and divorce yourself from, from uh, you know, an, an exuberant level of, of hope and, and basically, you know, the, the best case scenario or the paradox, which is the worst case scenario and the Stockdale paradox, which I, I'm guessing a number of your listeners would, would know about is simply as, as Jim Stockdale was a prisoner of war, Vietnam War, and um, he noticed through his travails there at the Hanoi Hilton that people that were either too optimistic or too pessimistic didn't survive. And so the Stockdale paradox says, put yourself squarely in the middle, control your emotions, don't get too hopeful, but also don't get too despondent, and try and think your way very objectively through whatever ordeal you're facing. And so that was good advice back when this thing surfaced in March. I know a number of us referred to that. But it's even more important now as we look to the second wave. Because as Brad said, we've all got fatigue. This is no fun. And it, it, it throws challenges at business leaders in, in all industries right now. And we're going, oh, gosh, not again. I got to go through this for another four, six, 12 months. Uh, but I think building that Stockdale resiliency is an important part of what business owners need to be able to con condition themselves to do. And that's why we're having this conversation is how can uh, family business owners, who, by the way, I think are, are in a much better position to thrive and respond to the next round of challenges and to the first round as well, than a lot of larger companies because they're smaller, they can move faster, they can make decisions more quickly. And, and if they've got a good process to be able to think through what's about to happen and, and whatever way it goes, you're prepared with a contingency, then you've got a pretty good chance of staying right in the middle where that Stockdale paradox works so well for people. Brad, what are your thoughts? I, yeah, I love the, the Stockdale paradox. In normal times, let alone times like these, um, it's, it's just, it, it's, it's about adopting a stoic mindset and, and just thinking about um, 
we need to be objective in understanding the data. And I want to overlay that in this conversation with something else uh, from Stephen Covey, um, um, author of The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People or something like that. Um, so, um, and that is the circle of influence and circle of control thinking. Okay. So at the moment, um, uh, so I'm in Australia, uh, obviously Southern hemisphere. We've just come out of our winter. Um, so we've, so we're in the, obviously the opposite uh, cycle in that sense. Um, we definitely see a lot that's happening in us politics um, because there's an election coming up. And this, this conversation isn't really about politics as much as the importance of leaders to uh, remain objective in the data that they're looking at. So we all get inputs of data from a whole range of areas. We certainly see a lot here in Australia from America and to a lesser degree, um, Canada. And we've got our own dialogues obviously here that are influenced from, from everywhere else. But what I'm saying, when we overlay the Stockdale paradox with the circle of influence and circle um, of control or concern, we think about what is actually in my control and what is not in my control. If there are other people who are influencing me through the news or through whatever I read, newsletters or whatever it is, how is that um, changing my perspectives, if at all, um, and what are the brutal facts? And that's, that's part of Jim Collins's work too. And then, and the, the Stockdale paradox confront the brutal facts. So if it's, is, is the thing that, that I'm thinking about outside of my um, control, is it simply a point of concern? Uh, is it something I can influence or is it in my control and remaining and kind of overlaying that? I don't know. What, what's your thoughts on that, Ron? Um, well, I, I think that, you know, we, uh, I, I've just had a bit of a family emergency here. My, uh, my grandson locked my wife out of her car. Oh, no. Uh, so, I, I, Brad, I'm sorry. I, I just was looking down and got that message, and I missed your question. So you'll have to forgive me, gentlemen. That's okay. So is your grandson locking your wife out of the car your, in, your control, or is it your influence, or is it in your circle of concern? Uh, it's, it's probably out of my uh, circle of influence at the moment, um, <laughs> but it's definitely circle of concern, but that's, we're on the call. Michael, continue. You should, okay. Um, this was what makes live calls the most fun. Um, you should never know. Um, when we're look, talking about, you know, the multi-generational family businesses, Ron, you had said, you know, that they're best suited to endure this pandemic. And I just want to take that one step further. Yeah. I think it's that idea that they're multi-generational. That really makes a giant difference. We don't, you know, multi-generational family businesses, when you're thinking inside of a family business, you may be thinking about 20 years from now, who's coming down the road. You're not thinking always about the next quarter. And that's one of the big giant differences. If I'm Carnival Cruise Lines or one of the other, you know, Fortune 500 companies, I'm very nervous about this quarter to quarter and, and what the, what's going to happen and how do I survive this quarter? Where you know, a, a family business can, you know, 
they can hoard cash. They can, they can do some of the right things. You know, they can put together and fortify themselves. They could even start to shift a little bit faster into, you know, they were, everybody called them in March and April, you know, how are we going to pivot, you know, and how many, um, you know, alcohol producers, bottlers turn to bottling, you know, hand sanitizer, you know, that, right. that type of a pivot or, you know, I, one of my clients was a, um, uh, asbestos uh, environmental remediation, you know, place, and they quickly added, you know, the ability to go into office buildings and remediate, you know, viruses and germs and really keep it clean. Um, what are some of the other things that, you know, family businesses should be thinking about right now um, and, and, be, and I guess maybe before I go there, is there any other data or any other math or any other pieces on that that either one of you want to add to this before we move on to, you know, what do people do about it? Well, I've got my, my observation is I, the advantage that, that, uh, that family owned businesses have is the span of decision making is much shorter. Um, they can react and, and I think examine data if they're looking at it faster. They also can make faster decisions. And I think that the reason we're on the call today is to say, if you couple that advantage with an organization that has done its homework and has set in motion a series of contingency plans with well-defined triggers, metric triggers that say, if these things happen, or if these things aren't in place, as we go through each of our weekly or monthly business cycles, we make adjustments. And by the way, the number of triggers that are tripped will dictate exactly what our response is going to be. We didn't see this coming last time in March. So everybody had to learn on the run. Right. We've got the, the, the benefit of some experience and some hindsight now. And I've got a number of clients who have taken a, an approach that says, let's sit down and figure out what are the triggers that let us know we're either We've either got more opportunities in front of us that we need to be able to position ourselves, take advantage of, because that's one of the, one of the joys of a crisis is other people aren't going to be as successful at navigating it as, as, as others. And we want to be able to say, are there opportunities out there which would trigger us in, a, in an opportunistic direction and would allow us to gain market share, would allow us to gain um, additional uh, margins, profitability, new customers, you name it. And on the, on the flip side, are there triggers that would tell us we've got to conserve cash, we've got to make some decisions right now to what I call lengthen the runway that we have in front of us uh, and give us, uh, my, my client goal back in March was to say, let us find as much runway length as we can so that we can survive an extra month or two or three or five and give ourselves decision-making and maneuvering space to be able to, to come out of it on the other end. Now, at that point, we thought, well, maybe this is only going to be six months. Wishful thinking. Now we know differently. <laughs> it's not going to be six months. It's going to be 12, 18, 24, probably even, or even longer, potentially, before we get back to any comfort level of normal. Right. So... I think the, you know, what I'm, what I'm telling my clients is, all right, we did this once before. Now we know, we know we're going to need to face it again. Let's go back and let's rethink our contingency planning 
and let's let's re-examine the triggers. Have the triggers changed? Uh, you still want to be able to have triggers for the upside and the downside. And we've got this we've got this um, a model that we created that that can can apply to pretty much any business. And if if you have clients uh, or, or customers or listeners on the podcast that would want that, Michael, uh, have them contact you and you let me know and be happy to provide it for them. Great. Now, let me come back to some of the questions that you're, you're, that you're and other conversations that you're having. Brad, chime in there. What are the, let's, what are the conversations that you're having now with client, you know, with, with the business owners that you're dealing with? Well, do you remember the last time that we went through a global pandemic? Uh, do you remember the last time when we went through a global pandemic and it created a global recession and all of the international travel stopped? Well, nobody does, right? It's beyond living memory. Nobody who's alive actually has any recollection or experience on this. The second point is anybody with any future prediction is looking into a crystal ball. And the, the, the facts are, there are some of the smartest people in the world working on a vaccine, but there is, we have no guarantee that um, the vaccine will be available, that it'll be effective, or that it, it will work, or it'll be adopted by the population. And I'm not trying to be a doomsdayer by saying that, but what I'm trying to say is, the conversations I'm having with clients is, let's go to first principles. So what are the absolute basic facts that we can rely on? For example, how much money have we got in the bank? Now, to Ron's point, one of my clients uh, is a 125-year-old family business. And, and I work with other ones, but that's just an extreme example. And, and they, some people may look at that legacy as being uh, negative, uh, but you can always look at it from two sides. They say, you know, like there are bad things. We've got arguments within the family or there's hierarchical problems or whatever it might be that are challenges. But equally, the one thing, the one thing that a family wants to do is survive. That, that, is, that is the thing. I think you'd probably both agree and our listeners. That, that's, so, so no matter what, we must survive. We must prevail because I don't, want to, I don't want this thing to go down on my watch. And, and that may bring negative emotions, but in the context of what I just said about uh, coming back to first principles and thinking in the long term, and, and actually being able to say, you know what, there's a chance that, that this thing won't be over with the um, kind of the, the flip of a switch, but in actual fact, this thing may just keep going and then we'll just, kind of slowly, gradually peter out of it and discover a new norm is, a, is something that they can accept and therefore is something that can be accepted by all. And what I'm saying there, I suppose, is consider all of the potential circumstances coming from a place of first principles. Because what I believe or what one believes um, is just speculation. And, and we must prevail no matter what. That is the absolute, absolute objective. Love it. In some of the ways that, you know, Ron, I, I had a peek at your, you know, worksheet, the, the, it's not a worksheet, but the, the list of questions and thoughts and whatnot, and just think they're fabulous. Would you mind sharing, you know, just breaking down some of those questions and those ideas that people should be thinking about today? 
Yeah, well, we initially, when the first wave hit, we built a, um, a series of I think seven questions that we said, look, th this is the get yourself organized real quickly and make sure that you're covering all the important bases that an organization that is, you know, is taking control of its own destiny would want to do. And the first thing was, you know, take a look at your cash flow and your cash position. Um, are you burning through cash or are you conserving cash? Uh, are you are you lengthening the runway that we talked about earlier? And uh, do we have you know proper funding sources in place as an emergency if needed? Um, and so at that point we had people looking at the, their banking relationships, you know their reserve levels. Uh, now we've gotten some maneuvering room through the first phase, and I think it's time to take a look again. If if this continues, how much runway do you have, and how strong would you be? And can you take advantage of opportunities if they come along uh, in the future? Or are you going to be taking a, a defensive posture and starting just to, you know, batten down the hatches and, and, and die for the depths of the bunker? Um, secondly is, is take a look at your talent uh, and, your, and your, uh, the, the capabilities of your leadership. Is it stronger today than it was six or eight months ago when this thing first hit? Or, you know, does it need fortification at this point? Uh, do you have the right people to take you through wave two? That would be one of the things that we'd look at. Um, you probably have some level of business continuity plan uh, to get you through phase one if you're still alive and listening to this podcast right now. Uh, but the idea is, again, how can we take a look at that and the operations plans backing it up to make sure that we've got things in a solid, strong, and, and uh, resilient position? Team communication. Your team is depending on you and your leadership to get you through the next round of this thing. You know, have you refined that? Do you have the right messaging going out? Um, is it practical and objective and honest and truthful? And is your, is your team still behind you 100% by the way that you're letting them know what's going on? Uh, you don't want to scare them. You don't want them to panic, but you do want them to have good valid information. Then obviously, if you're gonna get through another round of this, are the key relationships that you have with customers and vendors and suppliers, are they fortified as well? Supply chain, is your supply chain uh, fortified for another round of this? Uh, you know, we don't know where that's gonna go, but what, what my clients that are, that are positioning themselves properly are doing is they're taking a look at that aspect and asking themselves, okay, if one of these suppliers goes down, do we have a backup? Right. Okay. And, la and lastly, uh, you know, I, I'm an eternal optimist, but a, but a pragmatist as well. And one of the things we have them take a look at is, so where are the opportunities out there? Because you want to be able to keep that balance. Um, and you want them to be able to say, when others falter, are we going to be able to take advantage of that opportunity? And if so, what do we need to do today to put ourselves in a position to do that? Right. You know, it, it's, it's interesting. One of my clients um, is in the lumber industry and in early on in the year, um, they just felt there was a buying opportunity in lumber and just, you know, in that January, February, March timeframe, they were buying, buying, buying. And as the, as the virus was, you know, they, they were getting more and more about it. They were buying more. They had the cash to do it. They were very nervous that they wouldn't have the inventory. And anybody that, you know, knows anything about the construction industry 
this summer knows that my client had their best year in business ever because you couldn't get lumber because the supply chains were all you know broken at that point and he had it and was able to to capitalize on it so that i think that's a really good point ron is you know taking a look at the supply chains looking at you know and forecasting and thinking and and, and brad you know the data make sure that you're putting all these pieces together and and looking for those opportunities brad you know ron just gave us seven things you want to do eight i'm just kidding. yeah 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 no i definitely you know me right um well what if this what if this wasn't a pandemic what if it was it, it, imagine if you could what if you could put on a different lens and hide everything to do with the pandemic because the problem is is asymptomatic the the the, the asymptomatic component um, makes people think, oh, it doesn't affect, or, oh, I need to look at it through a different lens. So what if we just completely take away all of the pandemic component and simply look at the fact that this is a recession? Like, okay, so what happened 10 years ago with the GFC? And, and how did you react to that? What was the time frame between the beginnings of the GFC when we saw the, you know, some of the alleged things that would ultimately lead to big problems. How long did that happen? And then thinking back, even as far as what history tells us about um, the Great Depression, by the point when there was the initial shock and then there was the decline was, I think it was like a year or 18 months. Um, and that was the decline in stocks. And that came about because of unemployment. Um, there was data that came out of I think I saw it on CNBC in the last week or so, uh, 800,000 people in the US applied for unemployment benefit for the first time in their lives last week, yeah. right? So um, if we can, it, the, 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 the point is not to prove that we're right. The point is not to prove that um, whatever political affiliation or beliefs in any sense we have is right. The point is to survive. And then if we can look at it through different lenses by stripping things away, and we only look at it as being, well, this is a, this, this is just, it's a recession. Okay. What would you be doing differently? So we know there's a recession now. There are macro recessionary indicators irrespective of what happens to the pandemic that tells us already, this is the direction that we're heading. What do you need to do to fortify? So I don't know if that was a eighth one or a bonus, but that's my reaction and thoughts. No, I think it's really helpful. You know, we follow, you know, being, you know, both growth strategy coaches and wealth advisors, we're kind of looking at it from both ends. And so we follow um, something from the, the conference board called the leading economic indicators and that, you know, we, we were able to tell clients in October of 19, start, start prepping. Things, things are not looking like they're going in the right direction. And that had nothing to do with the pandemic. And that was really interesting. So if you marry those pieces, I had, you know, January, we were starting to tell people we were not changing portfolios. We're not, you know, we're not timers. But if you happen to have cash and you can stockpile some cash, well, 
March 18th was a really good time for us to start buying. And I'll tell you, you know, that, that really worked really well for those people that listened to me back in October to say, start piling up some cash and be ready because there's going to be some points where we're going to be able to put this stuff to work. And I think that comes true when we're running the business as well, is that, you know, as business owners, we should be following the economic trends that just the data, the pure numbers, forget everything else. And that's such a great point. And, and, and from going forward, I promise to pull out when I get the, the conference board's numbers, I'll share them with you guys because it's just, it's great data to be looking at yeah. to see where are we right now. And to your point, we are in a recession right now. And we have not come out of that recession, at, you know, as of yet. We, the, there was a disconnect between the stock market and the economic market. And so a lot of people saw the stock market take that 30% dive and then it's come back, you know, it was, it was raging, you know, doing a great job. Well, anytime you throw $2.2 trillion at, uh, you know, the, 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 the world, you know, at, at, at the U.S. market, of course the stock market's going to react positively to that. What people don't know, and I'll throw it back to you guys, but what they don't know is that, you know, in 2007, 8, 9, we didn't even get close to a trillion. And, and, that, and that saved the economy and, and did some things. So for this was like, you know, just a big boatload of money that came at, you know, it was 10% of GDP. So when you, when you put those pieces together, it's a lot. So I, I really love what you said, Brad, that, you know, stop thinking about this as a pandemic and start thinking about it as a recession. And, and that might help a lot of business owners take, you know, depoliticize this, set it aside, stop worrying about, you know, what the virus may or may not do and just say, you know, let's start looking for opportunities or let's start looking for how do we, how are we going to survive this thing? And I, and I think, Michael, in a second wave, if the governments around the world fail to further stimulate the environment, will we go deeper into recession? Will it go to an outright depression? And as Brad said earlier, we, none of us have ever been through that before. We right. came pretty close in 2009, 2008, 2009, but this could be so much worse if the governments can't get their act together. But you know, we can't depend on the government. I think most of us as family business owners or entrepreneurs are, are reasonably self-reliant in many respects. And I think we have to rely on uh, that kind of instinctive uh, feeling that thinking to be able to work our way through this next year or more. And so coming back to, so what would you do if we were faced with a steeper recession or with us with an outright depression in 2021? Uh, all of our clients are right now going through their planning cycles for 2021 through 2023. And so we're saying, let's face this. We've got some new wrinkles to consider, but let's go back through and ask ourselves some of the fundamental questions that we do every year at this time which is, so what's our plan for the next three years? All right, what kind of adjustments do we think we need to make to fortify ourselves and to take advantage of those opportunities? Most importantly is to say, let's go back and take a look at the business model that we operate under. And hopefully uh, many of the listeners have, have thought that through. They, they know their business model. If they don't, there's plenty of uh, resources out there to figure that out, but you best figure that out right now because it will be uh, I think of paramount importance to know, do we make any adjustments to our business model to either fortify against downside risk or take advantage of upside opportunities? And now is a great time in the fourth quarter to be able to do that. Right. 
Love it. Um, oh, go ahead, Brad. It, it, it's like the, I, I feel like the real estate agent who every day, rain, hail or shine is saying, it's a great time to buy right now, I'll tell you that. But now is the time when you need to have the right strategic planning in place. Um, I, just to reinforce your point, Ron, like you've got to have the right, if you haven't got sufficient cash reserves, the best practice that we work to is a minimum of two months of, um, two months of uh, fixed expenses cash at bank, right? So that, that and, and that's really the starting point, but you've got to have, and if that means you might need to liquidate some assets, like it might be the, the, the time to do that, to have that resiliency. You've got to have the business model right. Um, and to be honest, this is the point about the real estate agent. If you don't have a professional planner who's coming in, like there will be the greatest return at this point because people like Michael or Ron, myself, and there's many, many, many people around the world that do that. We do this every day and we see it. And, and, and I don't want to seem like the guy that says, look at the best time in the market to buy, but you know, this is when professional advice can really, really help um, because there's so much uncertainty uh, and just knowing what to do. Michael, that's the end of our advert. No. And I think you're, you're absolutely right. When, when we talk, you know, I remember I spent many, many years solely as a wealth advisor, financial advisor before, you know, realizing that my, my family owned businesses, greatest asset was their business. That's why we got into strategy because I'm like, let me help you with your biggest asset, not just the ones that I can get out of your biggest asset. Um, yeah. But so, you know, there's the market cycle of emotions. And so, you know, as that, as that, as the market's doing good and wonderful, it's like, Ooh, maybe I should get in now and everything's great. And Ooh, I'm excited and I'm exuberant. Now I'm going to put my money in. And that's when the market starts to go down. And then at the very bottom of the market, you know, when, when things are the worst and everybody's, you know, just can't stand it anymore. That's when the vast majority of people get out. And that's when the market turns around. You know, it's, it's at the top of the market when everybody's exuberant is when people are getting in and it's at the bottom of the market. And that's why the average investor doesn't typically do well if they're trying to figure that cycle out because the emotions do that. And what both of you are saying when we're just talking about it's the same exact thing when we're running our business, take the emotion out of this pandemic, out of the, take the politics out of this and just look at the data Look at, you know, what you're supposed to be doing as a business owner, you know, and, you know, we would say that there's seven attributes, right? You know, take us through what are, what are the seven attributes that everybody should be thinking about right now? Brad, give me, do you mind going, going through the seven that they should be thinking about? I'll switch straight to Ron. There you go. <laughs> well, and, and, that, and that's fine. And, you know, and I, we talk about these and, and they're, they, they follow to some degree uh, that earlier set of questions that we asked, but the first one is, leadership. And when we start the process of working with a business, family-owned business, the first thing we say is, do you have the right leaders in the right seats, using a Jim Collins uh, reference, doing the right things within both the company and the market? Are they capable of getting the results you need from them in good times and in bad times? You know, do they have that level of of uh, Stockdale paradox balance that allows them to be solid performers no matter what is thrown at them. Secondly then, taking a look at the next level, we call it talent. 
And that is, again, the right people and enough of them, whether that means you have more or less, but the right number of them in the right seats to drive stability and growth in the market that you serve. So it's being able to have enough people that'll give you the ability to service whatever demand level exists at any cycle, uh, any point in the cycle. The, the third, of course, is strategy. Can you drive profitable top line revenue into your company? Is your sales engine working? And, and is it reliable and repeatable in terms of, of its consistency? So it's, are, are we driving reliable top line revenue into the organization? Execution says, can you, can you, can you deliver bottom line performance that, that meets or exceeds, hopefully, uh, the plan that you've got for yourself, your needs and your expectations. Um, the idea there is most organizations that stumbled badly in the last six or eight months of this pandemic maybe had a workable plan, but they did not have the discipline and the commitment to the execution to get the results they were hoping for or that were possible had they been more disciplined. So a lot of them left a lot of money on the table, potentially during this last eight or nine months. We don't wanna see that happen. That, 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 that leaves a bad feeling in everyone's, uh, in everyone's stomach. So uh, then, then the other three are customers. You know, uh, are your customer retention or acquisition efforts, are they, are they having the desired results? Are you expanding the reach and the impact of your sales teams and your sales engine. And that really is building relationships, making sure your customers know that of all the people they could be doing business with, your team takes better care of them and the relationships are more solid, more real, more honest, and more dependable than any other that they have a choice of moving to. Then we talk about, and these play into uh, execution, are your systems and processes, uh, are, are they in place? Have you got them refined and are they efficient? Do they drive and allow near faultless execution within your company's performance? And it's, it's brand and reputation in the market. So, so having the systems and processes is a brand and relationship fortifier that we wanna make sure that you're paying attention to. And last is profit and cash. And McKinsey came up with a great, uh, you, can, you can get it off their website. Uh, they came up with a great um, overview of what they call cash excellence in the time of the pandemic. And cash excellence means you're giving your, your sales engine, your organization enough oxygen to keep breathing through the toughest times that anybody on this planet in our lifetimes has ever experienced. And so it's, giving your company oxygen for growth and for optimally extending those operational runways that we've talked about earlier in the call here. Perfect. Love it. Thank you. I, um, I, I think, you know, when we, when we got together for uh, our, our pre-show call that I, that I like to do with, you know, with guests, one of the things that I, I want, I, I, I don't want to miss is that we talked about, you know, how to outwit, outlast and outplay your competition when it comes to surviving another, you know, combo of COVID-19 and the flu. And I, and I think we've done that. That's what this, this whole conversation has been about is 
you know, really helping people to, you know, do exactly those things. Um, what I want to do at this point is just, is there, is there anything else that either one of you, you know, would like to finish up with, you know, what do you, if you could only say, if you could only say one thing or if you, your final thoughts, you know, what, where are you at? What, what's going on what, through your head as we've had this conversation? I would probably start by saying a bias to action. Um, you know, we all know the story of the frog in the boiling water. Um, inaction, um, you know, has consequences and doing nothing is actually doing something. Okay. So, so I would say, think about it, given everything that we've spoken about, think about a bias to action. And I'll give you a very quick example. One of the clients I work with in March, their revenue went from $20 million to zero in the course of about seven to 10 days. Um, uh, per annum revenue, it dropped. It, yeah, we've seen that. Uh, it was a pretty tough time to, you know, to be fair. Um, we pivoted before that. Uh, I'd only really just started working with them, but before that, one of the complaints they had was about their gross profit margin. It was about 30% in their industry. And that was typical. Um, and, and it was a complaint. And we, we had a couple of ideas, but we never would have been able to it would have been very difficult to execute those ideas to increase that. Okay. This catalyst came along. This person had no choice. <clears throat> we reinvented the business. They've now got up to almost double, almost 60% gross margin revenues. Okay. They haven't got back to 20 million yet. They're probably, I'd say if we annualize that out, they're probably going to do about in this current year, July to June, they're probably going to do, I'm going to say like seven or 8 million. Okay. But, Hey, it's the first year of a new business model. So it's still pretty good. So I would just say a bias to action. They, if the pandemic hadn't come along, they would have been stuck with the old model. It's the, that forced their hand to change. Um, do you need to be forced to change or can you adopt a bias for action? How can you be the catalyst on yourself? That's probably what I'd say. Love it. Thank you. Right. So, Michael, a couple of things here, and we, we touched on this when we, when we were talking in the run-up to the call here. Um, there, there's a process called gamification. Gamification. And, uh, you know, you can let this situation just drive you, you know, into a miserable downward spiral. Or you can, as a leader, you can ask your team to get and stay in the game. And so the analogy that I've been using for years with clients when we hit a little bit of a rough patch, and there have been a few, I've been in this business for about 30 years, and so there have been a few ups and downs during that period. But when the, uh, when the I'm sure that they have the same equivalent possibly uh, around the globe in some fashion, but the original um, reality show was Survivor. Uh, they've gone through, I think they call them so 40 seasons of Survivor now, I think most recently. And they outlined their, their approach right from the outset. It was outwit, outplay, and outlast your competition to get the million dollar or the $2 million prize and be the last person standing at the end of the competition. So gamification says, let's turn this into an opportunity to put our teams into play. Yeah. And we would like to all be standing at the end of this 
particular game together. So the questions we would ask is say, all right, let's rally the team and our strategic planning this year as much as ever, because when this coronavirus thing hit, it was March, we were already into our, into our plans and we had to pivot and change and adapt over the last eight or nine months. But now with, with the benefit of a little seasoning in this arena, we can actually say, let's build the outwit, outplay and outlast into our planning cycle for 2021 to 2023. And so put those questions to your team. If we're gonna outwit, outplay and outlast our competition and come out with a larger market share, better margins for operations, more cash than any of our competitors, what do we need to be doing and how do we change and adjust our planning in that manner? And so, you know, I take a look and, and I'll conclude on this point and it's, it's a quote that I've been using for a long, long time from, uh, for, for better or worse, we have an opinion of John Wayne, the actor, the film star. Uh, but I've always kind of admired certain aspects of his personality. And he has a quote that I've used for years and it's very simple. So life is tough, it's tougher if you're stupid. So you got a choice to make here as a business owner do, do I want to put together a plan and dive into 2021 and 2022 and 2023 with, with, a, with a better than, than even chance that I'm going to succeed and succeed dramatically? Or do I want to wing it and just hope that we'll get through the next 6, 12, 18 months? I put my money, I put my money on planning any day of the week. Yeah. yeah. I appreciate you sugarcoating that a little bit for us because that's, you know... That was perfect. That's well said. That's exactly it. You know, it's funny. I'm, we just finished reading The Infinite Game by Simon Sinek. And um, we're, we're using that book. We do uh, the Family Business Book Club. For those of you listening that want to join the, the book club, check us out. But what I would say, you know, what's really neat is we're playing an infinite game. And unless we have an infinite mindset and infinite possibilities and infinite, you know, thinking around this thing and bigger purposes than, you know, than the, than the rest, we're not going to, you, you're not going to win. This isn't a game. There isn't, you know, there's nobody's keeping score. There's no end zone, you know? And so you really have to be thinking about what am I doing this for? And this is where, you know, the, you know, the wheat gets separated from the shaft, right? You know, and, and, you, and you really need to start thinking about it. And the, you know, the John Wayne quote is, give it to us one more time. Hey, life is tough. It's tougher if you're stupid. I love it. I love it. So a couple of last, you know, things. Brad, um, Brad has a, a phenomenal book out there. And the title of that book is Thrive. Yes. Made to Thrive, M-A-D-E. Thank you. Sorry about that. And, that's, and I'll give my friend Brad an, 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 an absolute endorsement on this. I've used this. I've shared it with my clients, uh, with their leadership teams. And it really does have a, a pretty catalytic effect on kind of where they want to take their careers. Uh, it really is a great read for CEOs, any, any of the business owners in your network, Michael. I think we get some real value out of it. So... It's a great book. Thank you. Easy, easy to easy to read and simple to understand. Great, and that's available on Amazon. Yes, Brad. 
Yeah, everywhere. Uh, Amazon, <clears throat> um, Barnes and Noble, everywhere. Yep. Okay. And if people wanted to get in touch with you, are you on LinkedIn? Do you have what's your website? Give us that. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'm on LinkedIn, obviously. Uh, in there, Brad Giles, uh, G I L E S, and my website is evolutionpartners.com.au, as in Australia. Um, yeah, and I've got a weekly newsletter as well that I put out, which uh, yeah, I just share some thoughts and insights um, that you can see on the website. Thank you. And by the way, Brad's, uh, Brad's uh, uh, weekly insight that he shares uh, is something. It's the first thing I read every Sunday morning. It's, uh, it's in my inbox and I send it to my clients. It's got great information. Thank you. Appreciate, appreciate you coming and sharing, Brad. Ron, if people want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Um, I'm on LinkedIn as well, Ron Huntington, H-U-N-T-I-N-G-T-O-N. And uh, our website is EMT, Echo Mike Tango, EMTConsulting.com. And um, again, happy to provide uh, that two page. And, and Michael, you can send that out to any of your clients as well that might request it with my compliments. Uh, I think if you got some good value out of it, if they will as well, I'm happy to pass that along as a nice gift. Perfect. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Again, my name is Michael Columbus. This has been the Family Biz Show. I'm with Family Wealth and Legacy in Rochester, New York. Tune in weekly as we bring new episodes and more incredible value to family-owned businesses as often as we can. Everybody have a great week. Take care. Thanks for listening to The Family Biz Show. We appreciate your time and trust to deliver the best guests and most cutting-edge information to help you maximize your family business. Being part of a family is tough. Add a business to that, and it gets even tougher. Tune in next week as we strive to ease your journey with The Family Biz Show. The content presented is for informational and educational purposes. The information covered and posted are views and opinions of the guests and not necessarily those of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Michael Columbus is a registered representative of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Securities and investment advisory services offered through Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation, a broker dealer, member SIPC, and registered investment advisor. Insurance offered through Lincoln Financial Affiliates and other fine companies. Family Wealth and Legacy, LLC, is not an affiliate of Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation. Lincoln Financial Advisors Corporation and its representatives do not provide legal or tax advice. You may want to consult a legal or tax advisor regarding any legal or tax information as it relates to your personal circumstances.